Hey everybody, so as you might know by now, I have a healthy distrust for some folks who hold financial advisor positions. I've had listeners write me sharing advice from their advisors that, well, I'd consider questionable, and there's a lot of bad advice going around the internet every day that relates to all things retirement planning and financial planning and investing and whatnot. So I'm personally a do-it-yourselfer, um, and it's easy for me because I love this stuff and I think about it all the time. But sometimes, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes you need someone to help you ask the right questions. Um, it's funny, I'm dealing with a kind of a real world example of this in my business lately. Um, sometimes I do work for political campaigns, video production, writing, stuff like that. And right now I'm working with a couple campaigns. I'm, I'm not going to share the causes, candidates or states, but on one of these campaigns, it's clear the whole campaign staff is in over their heads and they're just not asking the right questions. They're, they're going by rote and improvising the whole campaign from top to bottom. And it's really hard to watch. And unfortunately the video guy can't just come in and say, you people need my help. Let me help you do your jobs. You know, so I've gotten really good at just keeping my mouth shut. And this is definitely a situation where I need to, how you say, stay in my lane. But it's really hard watching them make seriously amateur mistakes, mistakes they could easily avoid if they only knew the right questions to ask. And it's the same way with your retirement plan. Sometimes, even if you're a do-it-yourselfer like me, you need to bring in someone with more or different experience to help you ask and answer a different set of questions, to help you avoid mistakes, potentially really costly mistakes. I mean, it's, it's your retirement after all. And that leads me to today's guest. I've mentioned this guy before. He's Jeremy Keel, and he's a CFA, a CFP, and he's got a bunch of other certifications and acronyms after his name. He has a financial advisory company called Keel Partners, and he's the host of the Retirement Revealed podcast which I've uh, recommended here before. Um, this guy totally knows what he's doing. He's smart, he's experienced, and I personally trust him. So let's do this. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be on. So you are the first CFA slash CFP I have interviewed on the show, um, and you are also a podcast host, uh, which I want to talk about uh, a little bit later. But first off, tell me about the services that you provide and how someone like me, who is a control freak and is really into doing my own stuff, how's, how I could benefit from your services without having to give you my entire nest egg to, to manage. Yeah. Well, first, uh, thanks for the honor for being one of the First, I guess not one of the, the first CFA or CFP. <laughs> yep. I'll take it. Yeah, thank you, man. That's that's great. Uh, I'll just define both those real quick, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. CFA is a chartered financial analyst that is very highly focused on investment management, investment planning. Typically, someone with a CFA charter will be running a mutual fund or hedge fund or some sort of investment pool somehow. Uh, the CFP, that's chartered financial planner, that's somebody that's helping you make decisions about your money probably also investing your money as well too. Uh, but both of those are a little bit slightly different. So someone who's looking for strictly investment management probably wants to look for a CFA first. Someone who wants guidance on taxes and just decisions around money probably wants to look for a CFP professional uh, first. I happen to be, be both because I happen to like both. So that's that works out all right. On there. Gotcha. And like like you said, you, uh, you happen to like reading and do you happen to like taking tests? I happen to be good at taking tests, which is a helpful thing. And, <laughs> and sometimes, yeah, helped out in school for sure. 
I like but it. your your big question there is how do you uh, maybe pay somebody uh, yes. with that? A CFA is probably going to be this assets under management type of deal where you're paying a percentage. And that's probably with a CFA charter holder is some sort of investment pool, investment management, like I said, like a, a separately managed account or a mutual fund, that type of deal. The CFP uh, is probably someone that you're going to run into more. And that's somebody who is going to call themselves all kinds of different things, a financial advisor, wealth manager. There's so many different names for it. Uh, but if you're going to find somebody like that, you probably do want to find a CFP professional first because they ought to know a, a broad scope of a lot of different areas. You ought to figure out, do they specialize in the things that I am, am into or or that applies to my situation. For myself, I help people with retirement income planning. If you are 55 to 65 and you're retiring in the next five years or five weeks, I'm there for you. And I study vastly all the different areas. But there might be CFPs that specialize in small business owners, or uh, maybe if you're 30 to 50 and you're kind of still ascending your career and there's different things with stock options or whatever it might be. So look for a CFP professional, look for somebody that specializes in what it is you need and absolutely ask them, how will you get paid? Chances are very good that they will charge some sort of asset center management, you know, the theoretical 1% fee type of deal. Right. And they ought to have the ability to charge you on an hourly basis or maybe a project basis where there are people that will only charge you hourly. Say, hey, I don't I don't manage your investments. You have questions, I've got answers, here's the fee, and we'll bill you by the hour on there. Uh, or there's some people that say, uh, this is a project, it's the retirement planning project, or it's the get my act together kind of project, and they'll quote you a, a fee, you know, a few thousand dollars to, you know, $10,000, whatever it turns out to be for what it is you need and what their specialty is. And it can be interesting. It can be tough to actually find somebody that will charge you on, on an hourly basis. And someone like yourself, when you find them, I could, I, I imagine there's multiples of value on there to say, hey, I'm just going to use up an hour or five hours of your time. And they'll be bringing in multiples of value uh, on that and not necessarily managing your money, which is probably something you don't necessarily want to have or, or need. Right. But there's probably all kinds of tax questions, social security questions, you know, all kinds of stuff out there that it's helpful to have someone with expertise to come in and say, we'll take care of everything else and get you on the right track, even if they aren't managing your money. Gotcha. So you have clients both who come to you for hourly pay by the hour for advice, but you also have clients where you manage their their whole portfolio. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. The vast majority of our clients say, I have a whole bunch of financial planning decisions, uh, questions on a whole bunch of thing, and I have this money. I don't want to deal with it. Can you help me out with it? And can you just take care of both of it all at once? That's about 90% of our clients. And then there's about 10% of our clients that come in and say, I manage the money myself, but oh my goodness, retirement, I've never done this before. Uh, can you just help me through this? Or I've got a bunch of questions. I want to make sure I'm on the right track. Can I just pay you an hourly rate? And we say, yes. I mean, we're here to help pe people make great financial decisions. And I don't want my business model to get in the way of that. So we just try to make sure it's priced fairly either way. Gotcha. Awesome. And you also have a podcast, which is how I found you, or actually maybe how you found me. Um, we found each other by listening to each other's podcasts. Exactly. Um, yeah. And 
for the listeners, uh, Jeremy gets A-list guests, in fact, some of whom I've poached, and he gives very practical advice and he's not boring. I've mentioned before, one of the reasons that I did start my podcast is because some of the retirement podcasts that I have been listening to are like frighteningly boring. <laughs> and I enjoy yours, uh, your show because A, you get good guests and B, it's not boring. Also, you get in and out in a reasonable amount of time. So for those of you who don't like the three hour Joe Rogan-esque retirement podcast, Jeremy's podcast is called Retirement Revealed and I highly recommend it. So yeah, appreciate that, man. The first thing that I think about when I think about retirement is not running out of money. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think that's, uh, you know, people's main concern is, is, you know, I don't want to be eating cat food when I hit, you know, 84 years old. I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I, I, I need to make my money last. So you have what you call a five-step retirement income plan, which is a very practical and actionable plan. And can you walk us through that? Yeah, I, I like how you said a big question is, will I run out of money? Right. And I don't, no matter how long I live, I'll tell you a bit of advice. You ought to look up how long you might live. It's not like, uh, <laughs> it's not like you can ask for your death certificate today. You don't want to do that. Right. But there's a whole lot of uh, probability calculators out there. And we have a lot of people that say, well, I, I don't know how long I live. Great. Let's just take a look at the probabilities. That's a huge key part is figuring uh, that part out of it. And if there's two of you, there's two factors that go into there. <laughs> let's let's take a look and figure figure that out. But right. the other part with investing is almost everyone believes the investments are the answer. Like if I just have the right stock, if I just make the right amount of income from my investments, we'll be good to go. I have a belief that you cannot control the stock market. You can barely control your investments, but there's a whole lot of things that you can control. If you focus on the things you can control first, then make sure that you avoid mistakes in the areas that you can't control, like the stock market, you're going to come out ahead than if you have this belief that, oh my goodness, I can control my investments, and you ignore all these things like decisions on your social security, on your pension, on your taxes, on your health insurance, you can control so many of those. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to put things in the, the proper order, trying to make the biggest decisions first, and then move on down the line. I think, um, there's a management speaker that says, you know, do first things first. Yeah, it's very true. Like take care of what's most important and then move on down the line and investments get there, but uh, they're actually towards the end in our book of business and uh, our, how we go about uh, doing things. Interesting. So, so where, where do investments lie on this continuum of your, your five-step retirement income plan? Yeah. Let me just go through the, the five steps and, and we'll get the answer. So uh, the first step to figure out in retirement is what is it you'll be spending in retirement? And most people think it's like, oh, 70% or 80% of my income. I kind of don't care what your income is right now. I want to know what your spending is right now. And the first way to figure out your spending, probably the best way to figure out your spending before you retire is take a look at your take-home pay. If you're getting a couple thousand dollars every paycheck, few thousand dollars every month, 10,000 a month, whatever it is, if it shows up in your checking account, it's probably getting spent. And once you retire, every day is a Saturday, every day is a vacation day, you probably won't spend less unless you have to. And so step one is figure out what is my take home pay today? Because you want to replicate that if you can. If you can't replicate your take home pay, you want to figure that out as soon as possible, because that'll help you decide when should I retire? What might I need to cut back on? things like that. So, so number one, figure out what your take-home pay is. 
But with your take-home pay coming out of your paycheck, if you have a paycheck, or maybe uh, a lot of your folks are, are self-employed, it's a matter of what do you get after your taxes? What do you get after your healthcare costs? That's your take-home pay, which means when you're planning for retirement, take your take-home pay, add on your healthcare costs, add on your tax costs on top of it. And we like to have those three different line items because then when you run into issues and you have a too little income coming in and there's too much spending going on, you can figure out, is it because I'm spending too much in my own take-home pay? Is it because my healthcare costs are different than I planned for? Is it because my taxes are different than I planned for? And I also especially love having the taxes as a separate line item because you have a lot more control over your taxes in retirement than you did beforehand. Now, a lot of uh, self-employed and business owners thankfully have a lot of control over their taxes ahead of time. Right. Let's just assume you're a salary type of person. Like the W-2 shows up, you put in your tax form, there's not too much you can do differently. You retire, you can choose when do you start your taking your social security. You can choose, do I take money out of my traditional account or my Roth account or my savings account or my brokerage investment account? Those are four different accounts with four different tax things. You can choose to take money out in December spend it in, in January, that's two different tax years. So we like to have this huge focus on taxes are a line item that you have a lot of control over in retirement. And that's step one uh, is to figuring out what your spending might be in retirement. Love it. Step two is what might you be making in retirement? Just because you stop working doesn't mean you stop making money. You have social security most likely yourself. If you're married, your spouse probably has social security. You might not be married now, but you might've been married at some point in time, which means you might have access to a ex-spouse benefit or a survivor benefit. There might be two different benefits that you need to plan for, even if you're single yourself. When you fill out your social security, basically after about 12 months, it's done. You're set for life. Like you fill out your forms once, you're set for the next 20, 30 years. And so that's incredibly important. You can change your investments left and right, but social security- Let, let me stop yep. you there. Sorry. So when you say you're set, what you're what you're telling your audience here is that you can't change it. You can't go back. If you collect Social Security for six months, you can decide, oh, wait, I don't want to collect. I want to wait a couple more years and you can pay that back. But what you're saying is once you hit that 12, 12 month threshold, that's finished. There's no changes. Correct. You got it. Yeah. Okay. The first 12 months, you get to do a redo. Right. You get that once in your lifetime. So you better get it right the, the first time. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. So that's that's your social security, making that great decision. And when you file, how you file could be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of a difference over your lifetime uh, on there. You might have the same situation with your pension. There's still some people out there with pensions. Uh, we're in Milwaukee area, a lot of manufacturing type of firms, a lot of kind of old line type of companies uh, that still have pensions. And again, the way you take your decision uh, do I take it at 55 or 65? Do I take a big lump sum dollar amount or do I take that monthly annuity payout? That could be tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of a difference where you, you sign the paper once, you're stuck for life. Right. You can change your investments every day if you want, multiple times a day if you want. You, you can't change these social security and pension decisions the way your investments are. So you got to figure that out and, and make a great decision ahead of time. So that's, that's step two is figuring out how do you maximize what you're making uh, in retirement from those lifetime type of income sources. Got it. We figured by that point in time, you need to spend some money. You're probably making some money. There's probably a difference there. You, you're not making as much as you want to spend. That's the whole reason you've been saving over your whole lifetime. Right. You need some money right now. You've been saving your whole lifetime 
for the future, for later, it's time to set some money up right now. And in our idea where there's a lot more people that have the stocks and bonds and cash and things like that, if you need money next month or next year, you don't need to rely on the stock market. You probably shouldn't rely on the stock market for the money that you need next year. And I'm not gonna tell you exactly the length of time that you ought to get some money out of the stock market for, but that's a big thing a financial advisor should be helping you out with is how big of a buffer, how much of a length of time do you want to have your income set aside to use right now that has nothing to do with the stock market, that has nothing to do with dividends or if it goes up or down. That's focusing on kind of your, your safety, your short-term, your, your income bucket type of money that's out of the market. That's the first three steps. Those are the three of the biggest decisions you can make. You have a whole bunch of control over that. Finally, we get to step four, which is your investments, your growth investments that you do have some control over, but hardly much at all, right? The market goes up and down. Right. Thankfully, it goes up mostly, uh, then it goes down. But the whole reason that you invested when you're 20 and 30 and 40 is for later on when you're 50, 60, 70, and 80. And a lot of people hit retirement and figure, I don't have a long-term, like I'm retired. I need my money out of the market. And we would tell you, if you're 60 and you're retiring, think of the advice you'd give to your 30-year-old kid. You would tell that 30-year-old kid, you got 30 years, invest for the long run, go for growth, because you're not gonna retire for 30 more years. When you're 60, you should be telling some of your money the exact same thing. Because if you're a couple especially, you just might have a 30-year retirement. Odds are, it would be a 30-year retirement. So it's not all of your money, it's not none of your money, but for at least some of your money, you ought to be saying, invest for the long-term. This is for later. Go for growth. And having that mix between the short-term now money and the long-term later money is is highly important. That's one of the biggest decisions you get to have control over yep. when you hit retirement. So that's step four. That's where the investment decisions belong, which means there's one remaining decision for you, and that's related to your legacy. And I have two words related to that. It's your risk and what's remaining. There are risks to your retirement. You could set up this perfect retirement income plan and everything goes great, or maybe it doesn't. Sometimes you die too soon and maybe that social security or that pension is not nearly as much for your surviving spouse. Sometimes you live too long and you plan for a 30 year retirement, but now it's been a 40 year retirement and you're running out of money. That's a risk too. Mm -hmm. Or your health is a big risk. And a lot of times the older we get, the worse our health gets, which means the higher our healthcare costs are. So planning for those three big risks is a big part of your legacy. It affects you, it affects your spouse if you're married. It probably even affects what's remaining. Cause hey, if you have a great retirement, you got all the income that you wanted, hopefully there's some money remaining that's left over. And how you go about your estate strategies of what's the taxes look like for your kids? Uh, what does the legal situation look like for your kids? You know, Do I have all the documents in place or all the accounts set up the right way? That's the, the fifth step. We like to get there after we make sure that you're okay, that you're gonna be okay in all the good situations. Then let's take a look at what the bad situations might be to make sure you're gonna do all right there. And let's see what's, uh, what's remaining and how's that gonna look tax-wise to your kids or charities, however, you want to have it set up. Gotcha. So there you go. Five-step retirement income plan right there for you. 
It's a lot to think about. It's a lot for for us civilians to uh, to consider as we as we ap- approach that uh, that age. Well, I had somebody just uh, just about an hour ago. I was on the call with him. He said, "Well, I have all these questions because I've." Um, never retired before. That's that's usually true. <laughs> right. And thankfully for us and hopefully other people like us, we've basically retired hundreds of times because we've walked people through the pension paperwork. We've walked people through the social security paperwork, signing up for Medicare, uh, taking money from your 401k, how much is the right amount, all kinds of things like that. We get to do that. It's almost like we're retiring you know, twice a month and most people get to do it once in their lifetime. Exactly. Okay, well, one question for you. Back on step four, you talk about kind of your having that long-term plan to grow your money, but also mm-hmm. having enough, uh, you know, for the for the short term, so that you're not going to kind of screw yourself if there's a correction, you know, you so it. you don't have all your money in the stock market. A lot of us think about our our nest eggs. And we think about it as one big discrete pile. And, you know, it may be diversified, quote unquote, you know, in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, whatever, but it's this one pile. And then I will just kind of take from it uh, willy nilly as I need when I retire. Mm Mm-hmm. What scared me and what what really got me started down my own personal path towards uh, real estate and whatnot was 2008 and the great financial crisis and how my stock holdings took uh, uh, quite a drop during right? yeah. that. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that's my question for you is for your clients who like, I, and I think to myself, what if I had a million bucks and I was going to use the 4% rule and I was going to, I had Mm -hmm. to plan to take four forty grand a year starting in 2009 or 2010. I I don't remember when exactly the bottom hit, but if I had that million bucks and that million bucks turned into 650 grand in that Mm -hmm. collapse. And then all of a sudden my $40,000 just dropped down to like less than 30. So What did your your clients do? What did people do in response to that? Did they just work longer? Did they just lower their standard of living? I mean, how did people deal with that who weren't adequately prepared? Yeah, I think a lot of people, if they, if they were working, they just chose to work longer. Right. Because they, a lot of people take a look at it like, it's just a completely different situation where I'm, I'm working, so I'm invested for the long run. I see this all the time. People are working and they've got 80%, 90%, 100% in the stock market. And maybe that's the correct amount, but they're planning on like the day I hit retirement, let me drop it to 50%, 40%, 30%. And it's not like a flip a switch. You have to wait till the day you hit retirement to flip down your risk. Right. You ought to be preparing for this ahead of time. So somebody back then, somebody now, if you're thinking you're going to retire in the next let's call it five years, start looking forward and saying, the money that I'm planning on taking out a certain number of years from now ought to be out of the stock market. And I don't know what the exact number is. It's going to be different for for everybody. Sure. But uh, think about your emergency fund right now. You've probably got money in the savings account and you're thinking typically it says, oh, have like three to six months of emergency fund type of money. That's what you'll read all the time. Right. When you're not working, I like to replace the word months with years. Okay. Think of the amount of years you want to have in your emergency account. And it's not like, I'm going to use round numbers. It's not like I make a hundred grand a year. I need a hundred grand a year. Uh, let's have five years worth. I mean, that's a half a million bucks. That's a lot of money to have in the bank, let's say. Yeah. But it's if you, if you want a hundred grand a year 
and your make money, your social security and your pensions and stuff is 60, well, the amount you need from your investment accounts is actually 40. And think of the amount of withdrawals, the amount of money you have to take out of your investments and times that by the amount of length of time you wanna have for a buffer. So maybe it's, maybe it is five years you want as a buffer and you need 40 grand a year out of your million dollar and the 4% rule. Well, maybe you ought to have 200 grand, you know, if that's what you decide your buffer is uh, on there, set aside out of the stock market. So when the market does tank, your growth money will drop for sure, but your other money might not then. And that allows you to feel better about it knowing the next five years, I got all the money set aside. And it also allows you to do what you ought to do when the market drops, allow it to rebalance, right. allow it to come back up. If all your money is just in that, 80% stocks or whatever you have set up, and you look at it like it's one pot of money, when you see the entire pot of money drop, you might freak out and do some bad things uh, to your portfolio. So looking at as your, that's why we like to put it out into two different areas. What do you need right now? And if what you need right now isn't really in danger, then the money you need for later, you can do the later things with it, which is letting it rebalance, letting it come back. And whether that number is you know, three years or five years or seven years or 10 years or one year, whatever it is, it's going to be based on what else is going on with your social security, with your pension, when do you need for working your, your real estate investments? I mean, there's a lot, all kinds of factors that come into there and how much risk you want to take, take with that. Right. That's why you like, just, this is a, a process to go through and make decisions along the way that inform the next decision. And you can't really decide how much you need out of the market and how much should stay in the market until you know when do you plan on working until how much money do you plan on taking out and what are those incomes coming in from things that have nothing to do with the stock market like social securities or pensions. Okay, that's the end of part one of my interview with Jeremy. I'll have part two for you in an upcoming episode. So if you're getting any value out of this show, please do me a solid and leave me a five-star review on whatever podcast player you use. It'll help other people find the show. And basically, you'll be doing your part in making this a better world for self-employed people all over the planet. And don't forget to buy Bitcoin. Go to rogueretirementlounge.com slash crypto to set up your BlockFi account. Once again, that's rogueretirementlounge.com slash crypto. If you go through that URL... You'll get free crypto and you'll be supporting the show. Thanks tons. Uh, again, give a little prayer for Ukraine and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com.